Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Yeah, let me be clear. I'm, I'm going to fight uh, the Biden DOJ subpoena to appear before the grand jury because I think it's unprecedented and it's unconstitutional. Are you concerned um, about what happened on January? The fact, that no, the, fact that, the fact that no vice president um, has ever been uh, subject uh, to a subpoena to testify about the president with whom they serve makes it unprecedented. But that goes to the issue of executive privilege. Um, my understanding is that President Trump will assert that. Uh, that's not my fight. My fight is on the separation of powers. Mike Pence, former vice president. We're going to get to that in a second with one of our two big things. Uh, we have an important show today. We're going to have Fred Gutenberg on, and I'm going to talk to him about life and living and loss and grief and his fight to get meaningful gun legislation passed in this country. So let's begin with Pence. You know what? Mike Pence is right. He's right. This has never been done before to a, a vice president. Never. This kind of thing. Subpoenaing a vice president. And it's also never been done to Trump, a former president before. I mean, it's unbelievable. But you know what else has never been done before? Thousands of maniacs storming the fucking Capitol trying to steal an election and overthrow the government. So, Mr. Pence, let me remind you that, yes, yes, this has never been done before, but you were part of a cabal that literally tried to destroy democracy. And you owe the American people to go before a grand jury and to tell that grand jury what you know about the, the alleged, I'm going to say alleged and be kind, but the alleged crimes that were committed before, during, and after January 6th. I mean, I think the thing about Pence is his relationship with Trump is like a battered spouse, except that I have absolutely exactly. no sympathy for him at all, exactly. which I would for a battered mm -hmm. spouse. And he is beholden to Trump's base to such a degree that he will play any game to get out of testifying. And it, he is making up legal precedents that no lawyer who I've read thinks has any basis in reality. Yeah. Well, I mean, he doesn't, he wasn't a member of Congress. He was, it was a monasterial position. He, it's, he's there for one purpose and one purpose alone. And the separation of powers argument isn't legit because he wasn't part of Congress. He was part of the executive branch. The other thing about Pence that drives me crazy is his voice. His voice literally makes me want to grab the back of my head and slam my own face into a wall just to create something of a distraction. But it's like, I'm going to try to do him because, uh, well, not do him, but I'm going to try to, um, uh, it, it, it's, it, there's something to, you know, that's, you know, it's that slow, breathy, earnest, it's an earnest man of God. You, you listen to him and you really, for just a half a second, feel like you can entrust your children's lives in, with this man. But then you realize he's evil. Um, and then he, he also, you know, Matt, Jen, he calls people's names all the time like that. Matt, Jen, he's one of those people who always invoke the American people. You know, with the American people, the American people don't care about insurrection. They don't care about democracy. They don't care about people dying. They care about the things that matter 
to them the important things like cat litter in school bathrooms. Um, that's what they focus on. And that's, that's what I'm focusing on. When I hear him speak, literally, it just drives me crazy. I don't know. I mean, it's probably more than anything. Anything he did with Trump it doesn't matter as much as just the cadence, the rhythm, the fakeness, the fake sincerity of his voice. Complete pretend sincerity. I mean, he does sound a little bit constipated to me all the time. But he, you know, refined that voice as a conservative talk radio host before he went into politics. And yeah. That's where he got it from. And then just the the crap that comes out, like... You know, like I, I will not, I will not go before this grand jury. It's it's offensive. I won't do it, and the reason I won't do it is because I have absolutely nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide, which is why I will not testify. He won't get if he decides to run. He won't get one single. Well, no, not not one. Nobody, nobody. Mother will him. vote for him. Well, mother, <laughs> isn't mother. he afraid to be alone with her? No, he's afraid to be with other women. Oh, I thought maybe his and wife. And why? Too. <laughs> why would he be afraid to be other? What's happening? Because they might just Mike? jump all over him. Because he's so. What are you hot. afraid of? What? What? Why are you so tempted by Satan? He's deeply religious. <laughs> deeply, that's it's probably haram. what he's what it's, he's afraid of. It's haram. So yeah, it's uh, th this whole separation of powers, uh, executive privilege. It's all such bullshit. This man was. In, involved in one of the worst things that ever happened in this country. And he should speak. He should speak. If he has no, if he has nothing to hide, all kidding aside, he should testify. And that's it. Agree. The other big thing this week is Nikki Haley is running for president. They have us spiraling towards socialism with a new trillion dollar spending bill every few months and a national debt over $30 trillion. On Biden and Harris's watch, a self-loathing has swept our country. It's in the classroom, the boardroom, and the back rooms of government. Every day we're told America is flawed, rotten, and full of hate. Joe and Kamala even say America's racist. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I have a particular message for my fellow Republicans. We've lost the popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections. Our cause is right, but we have failed to win the confidence of a majority of Americans. Well, that ends today. America, a racist country? Get out of here. That's crazy talk. That's nuts. Nuts. I mean, yeah. Uh, look, she is right. The Republican Party is a bunch of freaking losers and uh, they're tone deaf and they're going to just keep losing. But I mean, With come on. Her. <laughs> I mean, could you, I mean, this is like Trump's American carnage speech and address, right? I mean, could you, what a way to launch a presidential campaign with such, you know, dystopian, you know, uh, darkness and negativity and just gloom and doom like that this is all they do is do that play that game like you know but the reality is all of it was true when they were when trump was president and they were in charge i mean the level of projection that goes on with the republican party is unbelievable it would make freud very proud and hypocrisy when you don't have any ideas of how to fix problems that's all you've got in your bag yeah, look, the fact, look, I do think 
on some level, there's progress in this country anytime a woman or a woman of color rises to a, a level of prominence where she can legitimately, and she can, we could say she's legitimately running for president. She's not a quack candidate. But the hypocrisy, Jen, that you mentioned is if you truly believe like where you come from is part of who you are and it's important to be who you are and to progress in this country, then how are you a member of a party that basically is against who you are as a woman and as a person of color? Does she really think, does she really think that America is not a racist country? Denial is not just a river, I believe. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point, Matt. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see not just what happens with Nikki Haley, but now that she's opened that Pandora's box, how many will follow. And the more that do follow, the better it is for Trump, because it'll just be a repeat. It'll be a repeat of 16, where there's 10 plus candidates who he destroys on a debate stage. They each end up with one, two, three percent. He gets his 30, 35 percent MAGA crazies and gets the nomination. And here we are again. Here we are again. Fuck insurrection. Fuck all the racism and all the crap that we've known for the last seven years. Here we are again with Donald Trump as the Republican nominee for president. It's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? It looks that way for sure. And I mean, DeSantis, of course, is the one pick that everyone thinks is going to be the winner in this primary. But, you know, I, one wonders, is she running for president or is she trying to be the VP for DeSantis? I got to say, and I'm I'm not a gambling man, but I, I don't even think he's running. DeSantis? Yeah, that's my wow. bet. Wow. That's my bet. I'm, I'm going to have to bet against you. I think he's a smart guy, and he knows down in, in Toothlessville down there in Florida that has, you know, he won by a 20-point-plus margin, but that cat litter in the bathroom, trans athletes shit, like, that doesn't play in America, and he knows that. He uh, cannot win that nomination with that kind of shit. I don't think he knows it. I don't think Sarah Huckabee Sanders knows it. I think that's all they have. And now that they don't have abortion on their agenda, they're going to have to go full-on anti-woke crazy. Yeah, well, that's true. That is true. And there will be a lot of talk about giant Amazon trans athletes taking your daughter's uh, spot on the soccer team away. Happens but, every day, I'm sure. <laughs> but but it's it doesn't play. It doesn't play in the rest of the country, clearly. Well, they, they tried the election denial game, and that didn't play either, but they, it doesn't stop them from doing it again. Somebody's yeah. going to be running on election denial, I'm sure. I agree with you on Huckabee Sanders. I don't agree on, on, on DeSantis. I think he's smart, and I think he knows where his bread is buttered, and he can be governor for the next whatever and then write a book and be on Fox News and be famous. He's not ready for prime time. What are you guys betting? I don't know. Um, uh, I usually bet a chocolate malted from Shake Shack. I will bet you, shameless Samuel's sweet shop plug coming, I will bet you uh, a $25 chocolate box from Ooh. the most delicious, awesome, happiest place on earth, Samuel's sweet shop, Rhinebeck, New York, Can I samuelsweetshop.com. Get... <laughs> Can I get that all dark chocolate? Because then you got to bet. You get whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's cool. All right. So let's go to winners and losers. Uh, who wants to start? Jen. All right. My winner, Georgia's grand jury whose panel pointedly noted that it unanimously agreed that Georgia's 2020 presidential vote had not been marred by widespread fraud, contrary to what Trump and many of his allies have claimed. Mm -hmm. My loser, doctors and nurses in red states. At least three dozen bills are being introduced in several state legislature, legislatures, 
aimed at punishing doctors and other medical personnel with up to 10 years in prison as a way to regulate abortion. My loser this week is Sydney, Microsoft AI's powered Bing search engine, where New York Times reporter Kevin Roos spent a couple of hours chatting with Sydney, only to discover that the AI best resembles a moody, and I'm going to quote him, moody, manic, depressive teenager <laughs> who has been trapped. My winner... My winner this week, I'm going to go to Nashville, Tennessee, to Democratic Councilwoman Zulaf Zuara. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. She is fighting a proposal by two Republican state lawmakers to change a portion of the street named after the late congressman and civil rights icon John Lewis to be renamed Donald J. Trump Street. Hmm. That sounds appropriate to me. My winner, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Need I say more? And my loser, Fox News. A New York appeals court upheld Smartmatic USA's multi-billion dollar defamation suit over false accusations of rigging the election for Biden. They're in trouble. And that brings us to this week's rant. Let's talk about Nikki Haley, the woman of color who just announced she's running for president as a member of the party that hates p women and people of color. For the record, I love women and people of color. And my party loves women and people of color. In fact, we love all minorities and immigrants, religions, and genders. We don't fear black and brown people, or Jews, or Muslims, or married gay people, or trans kids and pronouns, or strong, powerful, opinionated women. That would be the Republican Party. The Republican Party will not be nominating a woman of color. They can pretend they're inclusive and progressive, but the truth lies in reality which is the GOP's presidential nominees are rich white men whose sole purpose in life is to keep America's wealth and power in the hands of, you got it, rich white men. In her kickoff speech Wednesday, Haley said, the America I see will win the fight for the 21st century, and it will require some things we've never done, like sending a tough-as-nails woman to the White House. And she also said, again, you should know about uh, this about me. I don't put up with bullies. She can talk all she wants about being tough and anti-bullying, but the truth is she showed nothing but shameless fealty to a sexist, predatory, racist bully for six years. Citing her own heritage and accomplishments as proof, Haley declared, America is not a racist country. Really, Nikki? America is not a racist country? I'm just going to end it there because that one statement alone indicates which side Nikki Haley is ultimately on. Let's bring out our guest, Fred Guttenberg. Fred is a leading gun reform and political advocate and father of 14-year-old Jamie, who was murdered in the 2018 Stoneman Douglas High School mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, in which 16 other students and teachers were killed. He is the founder of the nonprofit Orange Ribbons for Jamie, and author of the books Find the Helpers and the just-published American Carnage, Shattering the Myths that Fuel Gun Violence. Fred, welcome into the back room. Welcome back into the back room. No, it has... Listen, it's my honor and my pleasure. You're a friend. And unfortunately, you became a friend because of what happened to both of us. Right. Violence. And I, I was telling you before we went on how I've really stopped doing most of these podcasts because I just found that they were getting exhausting and I was doing a lot of podcasts for a lot of people and I wasn't sure what it all meant. But you're, like I said, you're a friend and I know your podcast is reaching far and wide and I'm 
glad that you have me back. Well, it, you are a friend. Uh, one of the people that uh, I, I, you know, I always try to find humor in, in even the worst of things in life. And so I have this thing I call my tragedy buddies. I have a lot of people who uh there's like my friends sick, who understand it? everything they you don't have we finish each other's sentences we've walked each other's shoes we we know the landscape we don't give each other platitudes we don't tell each other everything's going to be okay and and so there's that group of people that i've met whose husband you're murdered. on the list you're on the list of people who i say i hate that i know but i love you yeah likewise fred love you back tough Hellish week for you, uh, Tuesday, Valentine's Day of all days. Uh, there's like it's such a perverse irony in that alone. But uh, Tuesday marked the five-year anniversary of uh, Jamie's murder at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas mass shooting down in uh, Parkland, Florida. How are you doing? How is your family doing? Tuesday sucked. You know, we spent it the way we always do, which is privately and at the cemetery and with Jamie and receiving visitors. My wife and I, my son, we never participated in the public stuff because that is for us, it is too hard. You start to see a lot of people you haven't seen in a long time and you'll have to answer all day long the question of how are you doing? And and I don't always feel like answering that time after mm -hmm. time after time. Mm -hmm. So we chose as, this year's we did in the past years just to be private. How are we doing? This year was strangely, um, and I'm going to tell you why, and, and 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 it gets into some of one of the commonalities between us as well. Uh, my daughter was only 14 when she was killed, not 24, not 35, 14. And what happened this year is because she was only 14. We ran out of new pictures to find new videos, new memories. We don't have the high school stories. We don't have the first boyfriend stories. I don't have the teaching her to drive stories. I don't have anything about her best years in college, which you have a daughter who's college age. You get that. It all for us just stopped. And this was the year where that really hit us. Uh, because over the past few years, whether I was talking about Jamie's early years or her middle years or her bat mitzvah or the amazing things she did during dance or with her friends or for her time with kids with special needs or with the dogs, I always was able to find something unique and new. I can't anymore. And that sucks. I was going to ask you if it gets harder because I know my own experience how it just came in waves and 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 it's been for me losing Adrian was 16 years ago and I still it's still raw in so many ways and uh, I, you know I can only speak for myself and I don't know if it ever gets quote unquote better it just gets different is it different, different for Dif you right now in and in, in what ways beyond besides the you know, the, the memories, the images, just how does, what is that roller coaster like right now? Where are you in that roller coaster right now? No, and, and so, and I wrote a lot about this in sharing that on February 14th because I've really been trying to process this for a while now. Like, where the hell am I? And so, 
I'll give you, I'll start with the ending of the criminal trial because that really started a different process for me. And it's not that it's better, but I think the words you use different sums it up. Everything is a, a process on the journey to some new version of normal, right? Which I think is a concept you understand. And, and trying to find some new version of my wife, my son, and I being okay with what we got going forward, but never, ever, ever being okay with what happened and what we lost. So the past few years, I've, in addition to just being filled with this intense energy to fight, have been filled with a combination of love for my family and the people who, who have just been a part of my life, but, but, but sadness because of what happened to all of us and, and intense anger that may have been the, uh, one of the dominant emotion over this happening and over, and it directed at the person who did it. And I sat through almost all of the criminal trial in person mm -hmm. with the expectation of a certain outcome. I was hoping for the death penalty mm -hmm. and it didn't happen. So here's what ended up happening. Um, a day or two after the verdict, I went and I sat with the the state attorney who prosecuted the case because during the trial, while we heard the evidence, we didn't physically see any of the videos or the photos. That was only for the jury and the attorneys and the judge. Now, we were always invited if we thought we needed to see it to go back with the state attorney to watch it. But I... I chose to not do that, as did the other families. After the trial ended, I decided to go sit with the state attorney and watch the video of my daughter getting shot. It was something that, after all these years, I felt I needed to see for a few reasons. I needed to know that, A, it was as described to me and that nobody was trying to tell, you know, make me feel like it wasn't as, that, that she, let me take a step back. I always had this fear that my daughter suffered because I had been told she likely died instantly. And I always had this fear that she suffered even for a second. And even though all the attorneys and the law enforcement were telling me she didn't, I didn't believe them. And I had to see this. I had to see what, how she responded finally. I just felt freed to do it. Mm. My wife didn't want me to. Uh, but every night I didn't sleep for the past, almost for the five years, because I kept on imagining her final minute. I, I, you know, and I guess I needed to see the video because I had to put in my head something real and get rid of what I was imagining. Mm -hmm. And after watching the video, two, a couple of things, a, it confirmed what people had been telling me. It is unlikely my daughter suffered. She took a single shot, severed her spinal cord. There's, there is, it was, it looks like it was instantaneous. Uh, that's going to sound crazy, but at least I was happy to see that. And you, you actually uh, saw that on the, like that was on the video from a distance I, perhaps, but you see. There's, there's two different views. One from the East stairwell, one from the West. I watched the one from the East stairwell, which was running down the mm -hmm. hallway mm -hmm. and making the turn into the stair western stairwell. Mm -hmm. And I saw 
my daughter Reed, first hiding and then taking off to run and running down the hallway and into the stairwell. I chose not to look at this camera from the Western stairwell because that would have shown me her face. Mm. And, and the, the attorney said, listen, we'll show it to you. You will see her expression change. And I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't bring myself to do that, but I watched from the Eastern stairwell. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I tell you all of this because a, at least my, the imagination that I had over was any detail that someone told me wrong. Mm -hmm. Did she suffer? It's gone. Mm -hmm. It actually strangely gave me a, a sense of peace that I was able to put this out of my head immediately following watching the video. I was actually really broken and upset. Mm -hmm. And I did what I often do. And I went to the cemetery to sit with Jamie. And I told her about it. And I was telling her about the outcome of the trial and about watching the video and what I had seen. And it hit me while I was doing that, that no matter what the outcome of the trial was, no matter what happened to the person with the verdict, I'm still sitting here talking to my daughter at the cemetery. Mm -hmm. And nothing changed. And in that moment, for the first time, I let go of this, this intense anger I had for years directed at the person who did it. And I started just focusing on the reality of life going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I'm not angry and have intense hatred towards him, but he's out of my head. That's the key thing. And I will look, I will not think about him, what's going to happen to him, how he's being treated, the criminal process ever again, until I read the inevitable news report of, of prison justice. Mm -hmm. uh, he is out of my head. So you my don't, I, when we first met, when I was making my film and I was I don't uh, planning it. to meet with uh, Adrian's killer, uh, it was something that uh, not just you, but a lot of people didn't really understand. Uh, just like I'm sure there we are people- We talked about that, I remember. Yeah, yeah, just like I'm sure there are people who don't understand why you watch the film. I get it, uh, you know, the video, I get it. I totally get it. And I would have done the exact same thing, obviously. But I'm wondering if, you know, this is all a process. And so- uh, do you ever think like, is it possible? Like you came from a place of, I couldn't watch the video. Then you watched one of the videos or one of the angles. Do you ever think like, you know, maybe three years from now, for whatever reasons, you may want to watch that second angle or five years from <laughs> now, you may, you may, you know, when, whether it's the anger or other feelings subside or get moved away or you just refocus that you might want to sit down with that killer? Or do you just know viscerally you will never, ever, ever sit down with him? So those are two different questions. One on the other camera angle. The answer is hell if I know. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, you know, the thing about this, there's no uh, manual or textbook for right. how people like you or I should feel mm -hmm. and what we should do next. And it really ties to what President Biden told me, which is, you know, we all grieve differently. I always try to encourage people to not do what you need to do 
to move forward in this new process of normal based upon what someone else did, mm-hmm. but figure out what you need to do. That's right. And and so will I decide somewhere down the road that seeing that will matter to me? Hell, I might. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know right now I don't need to or want to. As for sitting down with the monster who did this, that will never happen. Um, saw enough of him sitting in the trial. I I, I have I have nothing uh, that I need to hear from him. Mm-hmm. And that would be the only reason that I think I would uh, ever cons- even consider it. But but the the being in the same room with him during the trial was hard enough. Um, hearing him explain to me um, anything that he might want to, because he wants to get it off of his chest, I just, I don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will never happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it is a very personal choice, and you're right, there is no roadmap. And just like with you watching uh, that video or me doing what I did, you know, it's really nobody's business, you know, and it's because you don't know, you don't know what you would do until you're in this kind of a situation. So, you know, I always found it odd that people would say to me, you know, why would you ever want to meet with the kid? But I had my reasons and and they were my reasons and I didn't really care what anybody else felt. And they helped you in that process of moving forward. And that's all that matters is it was, there was a cathartic process for you that has helped you to live life, to be a better yeah. person for those you love. None of nobody else's business. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? Right. And same with watching the video, which took you a few years to get to that point of being able to do that because you had your reasons at this time to do that. But I, I gotta say, I just, I, you know, Loss is not a contest, and I've, I've had people always say to me, like, you know, what, what, my, what I went through is not like what you went through, but it's more important what other people go through because it's their lives, just like your... I always, my, my response when people say that is always, we all have our story. Right. But I, I have to say, as long as I've known you now and even, you know, coming to a conversation like this again with my own foundational experience of, of violence and murder and tragedy... Losing a kid, I, 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 there are times I, I just find my, like, I, what do you say to Fred? Like, what? And then imagining sitting and watching that video, facial Listen, or no facial, just seeing my child, like, you know, I've said my, this to you privately wife, and I'm going to say it publicly again. You are my hero, your strength, your well, resilience, your ability to sort of f- pick yourself up from this shit pile and do the things you do. And and not just for yourself or for Jamie or your family, but what you do, what you're trying to do and have done successfully in part for the rest of us out here. It's, you know, there are a few people you know Fred, that walk the earth like you do. You know, I, I'm so uncomfortable here even when people say that to me because I just, listen, I just see myself as a dad reacting to what happened to my kids. Um, yeah, but it's more than that. You know, it's more than way more listen, than that. I'm still like I'm still a guy who this week on February 13th, the evening of the night before the five years, right? My wife was sitting downstairs watching Jamie's bomb mitzvah video. Mm. Uh, it's the first time she pulled it up in all these years. And I heard it and I walked out of the room. I couldn't. Mm. Um 
I just couldn't. You know, we all have our uh, the realities of of how we are affected and uh, how it pushes us and motivates us. I, I like I said, I'm a dad. I want my son to grow up. He's 22 now, but I want him to grow up. And if he chooses to bring kids into this world, to not have this be the number one concern that he would have, which it is right now. Mm -hmm. And if I can be any part of making sure that he moves forward in this world with this being less of a concern, then that's what I'm going to do. You can't shut me up. The worst thing that could have ever happened already did. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that. Monday night, something else happened out in this world where another shooting took yeah. place at Michigan State. Yep. On, the, on the eve, uh, I mean, it's awful for America, but I want to understand from your perspective for you and for your wife and, and son, on the eve of Jamie's murder, what must you be thinking when you see that I mean, I, I just can't, it's, it's hard for me to understand how you have to, and I said this to you last time we spoke, like every week there's another shooting and there's shootings at schools. And it just, it's like, it, it just must be putting you and your family through the freaking grinder every single week. Like, how do you ever grieve and, and reconcile any of this when this shit just keeps happening over and over and over again as a reminder so so a we do it differently my wife and son this is why they have chosen not to throw themselves into this it's why they have a hard time even just paying attention to the news because it just keeps bringing back and triggering really bad stuff Mm -hmm. And for me, I was just like, are you fucking kidding? I, and it just, it just, and then on the flip side of that is, why is anybody surprised? You know, um, to even make it worse, one of the families who we know locally from Sharkland, who have a child, I'll leave it as vague as that, that was in the Parkland shooting, have a child who was on that campus, attending that university, and has now been a part of two shootings. Jeez. Uh, which is just reality in America today. So I will tell you, I had such anger uh, and sadness that night. But the next day, also watching the way Michigan and the Michigan leadership from, you know, Governor Whitmer, and their lieutenant governor and their, you know, house in the Senate and the university decided to tackle this and to really, really tackle the issue of gun violence in Michigan. And it also gave me hope uh, because it, it, it's, I've always, people always say to me, how in the world do you continue to find the energy and hope to keep doing this? And, and I will tell you, it's when I see moments like what happened the day after that shooting in Michigan, mm -hmm. where you, you have everyone really deciding to pursue this 
in a really responsible, aggressive way and not paying any attention to the bullshit antics of a gun lobby that has lied to this country for far too many years and put us in the place where we now hear news of these shootings. And we're like, yeah, of course. Like, why is anybody surprised? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was inspired to be candid by how Michigan has been responding since. But that's the incredible thing about you, Fred, is you're able to sort of process this, process it, this kind of stuff in a one step backwards, two steps forwards kind of way, forward kind of way, which is not easy to do for someone in your position who at the moment you're getting ready to deal with a five-year anniversary, boom, it's like you got to deal with this shit of seeing other kids get killed and other shootings taking place. Like, it's just... It's almost so, like the cliche of how much is one person, one family, one country, one nation. And yet, do we, do we Michigan have to endure this? State. And yet, Michigan is a state. Okay, and, and here's how: they didn't have red flag laws before. Amazing, right? But you know, they they did not have democratic control of their house and senate before. They do now. They did not have red flag laws before. Red flag laws they save lives. Full stop. Mm-hmm. They've now been used about. I think 8,000 times in Florida, okay, to remove weapons from somebody who was a threat to themselves or someone else. They state lives. Michigan will now have red flag laws. Because of what happened this week in Michigan, somebody will be stopped from a future shooting. Mm -hmm. A life that we will never know about, a father who we will never read about, Mm -hmm. will send their child to dance or college because of the way legislators are going to respond now. Mm-hmm. And so we'll never know how that happened because thankfully we'll never get to know that person mm-hmm. because their daughter or son didn't get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- it is this unknown quality to the work that I now do that keeps me going forward. Yeah, you wrote about this in in a Facebook post uh, this week, and uh, it's an interesting thing to consider with this kind of struggle, this kind of fight, because we see the people who die, but we don't see the people who live. It's an intangible. It's unknown. It's invisible, right? I always think about like when I'm traveling somewhere, if I, you know, well, let me go down this road. Ah, you know what? I'll go down this road. Like, we never know that had we gone down the other road, we might have gotten into a head-on collision with a car and we just saved our lives. We have no idea because we decided to take a right instead of a left. It's the same thing here. When I saw that, it was so interesting to me for someone like you to have to... to, to I think it's important to hold on to that because it, it, it's, it's a reminder of the work you're doing and why you do it. You, you know, you, you're doing it to prevent this shit from happening and but we don't know when it doesn't happen and when it doesn't happen we'll never know right but it but to be able to use that as fuel because some people if they don't see a result they go like ah shit fuck it i'm not doing this anymore i'm not seeing the fruits of my labor but you have to be able to do what you're doing which is to know that somewhere somehow somebody is living because of the work you're doing Otherwise, how under your circumstances, 
with the loss of your own child. While how do you knowing, how do you keep doing it if you don't hang on? And to while that? I'm knowing that the reality of 400 million weapons in America means gun violence will continue, and you have to keep working harder to put up barriers in front of it and to take on a lobby that continues putting forth the bullshit that the only way to solve gun violence is more guns. More guns, more good guys with guns. More good guys. Like after more, Uvalde, more how many how many good guys who stood there twiddling their peckers for 70 minutes or whatever? Like how many, like, is it time to say, you know what, maybe this good guy with guns thing isn't working the way we think well, it should? Well, well, and listen, they, they, they want to, they're, they're going further than that now in certain states like Florida, where they want to go to this fully permitless open carry, um, where good guys who will be untrained, who will be really unknown to law enforcement, uh, will be allowed to very dangerously carry guns. And, uh, you know, listen, just in Florida yesterday, a, a, a guess a good guy with a gun. I don't know anything about the guy. But he left his gun unsecured because he was untrained or irresponsible and nobody was paying attention. And his three-year-old son killed himself a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is a reality that the the more we take on the bullshit and allow these good guys with guns to uh, uh, keep on telling us that we just need more of them, uh, the, the more likely it is that you will see gun violence. It's time to it's time to it's time to shut them down. It's why I wrote the book I have coming out in May called mm -hmm. American Carnage because I'm taking on the bullshit. Uh, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this, which is maybe it's an impossible question to answer, but why do you think America or a certain segment of America is so obsessed with guns? What is what is did you ever just stop and like close your eyes and think like, okay, I, I'm a victim of gun violence. I know there's gun violence, but why is there so much gun violence? Why? What is, so, is it that these so, guys with all these guns have like small dicks and they're just overcompensating? Like, well, what is, <laughs> why, why, why are we in all of the Western world are, are we so upset? Because there's a direct correlation between the amount of guns in this country and the amount of gun violence. And if you look at the countries that have strict gun laws, they have very little gun violence. Like it's not well, rocket they, science. They do, and 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 so I listen. I I think some of what you just said about you know why certain men just need guns is 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 probably true. But here here's here's some facts because it's not you know the facts are America now has more guns than people right over four hundred million more guns than people, but concentrated in about a third of the population. So. Uh, here, here's a fact. It's not only in about a third of the population, but also concentrated in certain states. And I always have said to people, the true border crisis in America is between the states. Because you have red states with permissive gun laws mm -hmm. where guns flow to blue states. Right. It just, it's it, New York, New Jersey, they've been tracking where the guns used in crimes come from and they, they're coming from out of state, yeah. about 77%. So uh, we, we need to stop thinking about this as why is America 
It's why is a minority of America allowing the majority to have to live with gun violence? How did we let that happen? How did we allow a minority to put America in this place? And, you know, listen, it started with an incredibly well-funded, well-funded, aggressive lobby. Look at a guy like Wayne LaPierre, the head of the NRA. Mm -hmm. People forget. You, you mentioned the good guy with a gun concept. Do you know when that started? No. It was, it was days after Sandy Hook. That line never existed before that. It was the NRA response to Sandy Hook. Okay. Mm. Wayne LaPierre went out and said, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. They use Sandy Hook as this epic sales moment for the industry. Okay. That's the reality that America needs to understand and how a minority of people put America in this place where gun violence is something where we now anticipate where we're now raising a generation of children who are growing up thinking I should expect gun violence in my life. Okay. So, so, so fuck it. You know, it's like, it, stop. We have to stop listening to the bullshit. I have a guy who believes in the second amendment. I have no issue with lawful, responsible gun owners. I've talked publicly. My father-in-law's one. My son has gone shooting. No issues. I hate gun violence. And I hate the bullshit that put us in a place where the notion that we should do anything to lessen gun violence means you're an anti-gunner because I'm not. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it the message LaPierre's messaging, the, the NRA's messaging, it's 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 failed messaging because in the years since Sandy Hook, look at the prolifer, proliferation of gun ownership. Look at the the incredible rise in gun violence. Right, we see from Uvalde the good guys with guns and how that went. It 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 didn't happen the way it was supposed to for the NRA. Where is the messaging to show America that? It's it's there has to be some connective tissue to the reality of guns and gun violence and what our kids are experiencing now more than ever because it's not give people more guns you get more you get you, you get less violence it is exactly the opposite and it's like again well, not rocket science but how are we it's behind why, the eight ball with this messaging in this country it, it's why I wrote American Carnage with Tom Gabor and I'm mm -hmm. coming out in May mm -hmm. and it's. Because it does, if it puts, it takes every one of these myths and all the bullshit that has fueled this now, okay? For since, and I'll tell you what it all started because it was back in 1977. Takes all of that bullshit and it, and, it, and it puts truth out there with facts and data. And it also tells people, we also tell people in the book how to talk about it. But this, listen, America through most of its history was a gun safety country, okay? We had guns, we had a gun culture, but we also believed in gun safety all the way up until 1977. And in 1977 in Cincinnati, Ohio, at the NRA convention, a guy by the name of Harlan Carter organized the coup of the NRA and created the modern version of the NRA. Now, what people didn't know at the time, because he changed a vowel in his name, Harlan Carter was a prior convicted murderer, okay? This is the guy who turned the NRA into what they are today. But we're literally 
This is only since 77. The majority of this country's history is a gun safety country with a gun culture, but understanding safety. Okay. So it is time to, it is time to make sure America knows the truth and we start fighting back with legislators who understand the importance of doing something about reducing gun violence. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the past three elections, we've elected more of them. Mm -hmm. And with legislation that puts an end to the bullshit we are living with. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I just can't fathom is, you know, everyone, there's this notion that somehow all the guns are in the hands of, you know, the rednecks and everyone who's dying is a liberal. But the truth is, you could own your own AR-15, but your mother still might die at a supermarket or a movie theater or a church. Your yes. kid may die in a school. This, if, this impacts you. This affects your life, the people you love. Why are they so disconnected from that reality as if, like, there's people with guns and then there's all the people who are dying? But there's no connectivity but, in that, which is well the bonkers. other the other dis the other disconnection from reality is that it's only happening in big blue cities, okay? Right. Because per capita, the deadliest places in the country are red. Um, you know, big blue cities have a lot of people, mm -hmm. so you may have more instances. But per capita, the most deadly places in the country are red. And what happens is in those dangerous deadly places okay it is often these good guys with guns who something happens in a home you know they they you know you don't it's not mass shootings but you have a lot of the individual in home intimate partner mm -hmm. and things like that it, it it is such a bunch of nonsense and it is a disconnect from reality and the truth is the whole notion that if we just keep on arming more people we'll stop gun violence the more guns you put out there, the more they're going to end up in the hands of those who intend harm. And you know what? If someone's walking and they're going to hit you by surprise, you might have a gun. You might not. But guess what? You're likely to get shot. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things I'll never be able to understand about conservatives. Because in general, they never seem to be voting for their own interests. And in this particular situation... It's, whether I own an AR-15 or not, my kid still goes to a school. Why wouldn't I be as worried as a Fred or someone else about my kid not coming home from school? Why is there such a visceral fight to protect every single gun right as if it doesn't affect their lives in any way? Well, well so let's look at what happened with legislation that was just passed. Because 80% of America agrees with you and me. So it's not like the majority of America right. doesn't see it the way we do. So I, again, and, and when you look at Congress, you have a president who agrees with you and me. You have a Senate that is majority Democrat, but had enough Republicans right off the bat to get at least 60 votes who agreed with you and me. Uh, why there were, you know, all the other Republicans in the Senate who don't, is, is a whole other conversation, but they're the minority, right? And then you have a house that uh, currently is just gerrymandering, not reflecting the majority of Americans. Uh, but in the last session, the house was overwhelmingly 
able to agree with you and me. We got it done. But in the Senate, it was pulling teeth to get the bare minimum because of the filibuster. The reality is the majority of America agrees with you and me. Mm -hmm. And so if, if the legislators are unable to deliver on what the majority of America wants, instead of saying, why is this so hard in America? we got to start calling out those people by name and we got to start working hard. Listen, uh, in the house where, you know, you know how McCarthy in control, but the truth is, okay. In Florida, which was a disaster, we actually added two additional people who believe in gun safety, Jared Moskowitz and Maxwell Frost mm -hmm. in New York, you elected a gun safety champion, Dan Goldman. But the one that really blows me away is in Ohio, in the Cincinnati area, you have a Greg Landsman who defeated the ultra-conservative gun nut, Steve Chabot, um, or Chabot, however he says his last name. So um, I think that that's his name. But anyway, Greg Landsman is now their congressman there, okay? So Americans, make sure you vote. Well, that's the right, answer. Right. We we can say that about everything. Maybe if, if we just yeah. all voted. But too many of us don't. Right. And then we say, why are they not doing what we want? Did you vote? Yeah. Statistically, let's say that, you know, Democrats go to the polls and maybe 55, maybe 55 to 60, 60 percent of them vote. Imagine if 80 percent of Democrats showed up at the polls. We'd have everything we want. Right. Everything. Well, listen, 100 percent. And in Florida. You know, listen, Ron DeSantis just won by 19 points, right? Mm -hmm. So he's patting himself on both shoulders. They could look at what I did. How impressive. But the <laughs> truth is he won because his people voted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Democrats in Florida were uninspired, unmotivated, and the turnout was terrible. Mm -hmm. If there is a, if Democrats stopped sitting on their asses and complaining and worrying about, did I get everything I want and focus on, I still need to vote because I need to get people who believe in the things I believe in in office, you'll solve a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Don't sit home. Mm -hmm. It's, con it, you know, Michael Moore used to talk about this all the time and, and talk about Canadians, how they take the, their voting. I know you got to run in a few minutes to get to your next thing. The last thing I want to ask you about in your uh, men's health article, uh, which people should read, uh, written with uh, Rachel Epstein, uh, which is a fantastic piece and a real insight and window into you. You talk about uh, coping and you talk about, you know, writing, writing books and how that's important. But you also say, quote, I love to drive and I love music. I'm a Billy Joel yeah. fanatic. On my really down moments, I get in my car, roll down the windows, put on Billy Joel, and I just drive. I want to know what, what Billy Joel songs are the ones that really do it for you in those moments. What do you, what's your go-to? So Listen, since I'm a since I'm a teenager, um, when I was like, I've always been someone who's always had big dreams and big visions. Mm -hmm. And when I was around 13, 14, my best friend, and he's still my best friend to this day, said about the song Vienna. Mm -hmm. He's like, this song is for you. <laughs> you know, slow so, down, you crazy, crazy child. child. Mm -hmm. no, so ambitious for a juvenile. So ambitious for a juvenile. And that has always been my favorite song. Mm -hmm. Just always, beautiful always, song. always been my favorite song. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can just go through the history of Billy Joel, whether it's, you know, a, a song like um, She's Got Away, which mm -hmm. um, strangely 
um, has Jamie danced to She's Got Away. Mm. Um, and yeah. I, the words of that song, while probably really more intended for a romantic relationship, mm -hmm. you know, she's got a way about her. I don't know what it is, but, you know, she lifts me up, I'm feeling down, and all those words. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like that song is now written for a connection between Jamie and I since she's been murdered. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, then there's the, you know, Summer Highland Falls and Piano Man and all mm -hmm. the other stuff that we all know and love. It's like, just you put on Billy Joel for me. Um, Captain Jack, I can love Captain Jack. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and you, just, you put it on and, and I, I could listen. My wife and I, we have a, a home in North Carolina as well. We drive back and forth to and she's like me, a Billy Joel fanatic. That's pretty much what we listen to the whole drive. She'll just like go one out into the next. Yeah, no, it's uh, he's amazing. I'm right with you on on Billy Joel. Uh, when you are doing this in your car, because I, I know I, I I've had my moments and still do when I hear a song that resonates for me the way a you know uh, she's got a way resonates for you. Uh, that's when I kind of unload and unleash and the the things that people don't see about me and i want to know is that ha is that happening for you because i see you we see you on tv we see you another you know you're a rock but when you're in that car and you're hearing she's got away are you just a mess a sobbing mess the first the first so so the first time and it was it was um after jamie was killed probably about a year after and it came on and, and, and that was the first time where it kind of hit me that way. And then I said to myself, as I'm driving, I said, holy shit, Jamie danced to this. Mm -hmm. Like I hadn't thought about it. So I ran home to find that video and I was a mess. You know, I was, and now whatever I, I listen, my, my wife now can't listen to that song, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. for that reason. But every time I hear it, I need, I'd like, I need to listen to it now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's funny so, how the evolution works you know when i when it, adrian it, died i they asked me at the funeral like what song would you want to play and i was like what song do i want to play what is this a sweet 16 and they were like well people usually as as everyone's marching into the the, the you know the the chapel i was like well okay let me think I, about it thinking about music and today. i thought about my love paul mccartney because we're we were big huge uh, beatles fans and that song for me over the years has gone from like, oh my God, I'm curled up on the floor in a fetal position listening to it. Now when I hear it, I can hear it and listen and think of her and think how beautiful she was and how our love was so strong and what it means. So like my own emotional journey with that song, I'm wondering if, if you're going through that. It sounds like you're going through that same emotional journey. No, I, I listen to that song now and, 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 I, and what I hear is other words, feeling down she inspires me you know mm -hmm. it's it's about how jamie is lifting mm -hmm. and 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 it 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 feels to me when i listen to that song it's the story of how i keep jamie in my life mm -hmm. you know um and so i listen to when it comes on now i i do listen to it and and strangely i'm in a place now where i smile mm -hmm. not get broken because feel like it's just her way of staying connected to me uh you know uh but yeah you know billy joel i mean listen i got a lot of other musicians that i love 
I mean, the song, Jamie song between Jamie and I mm. was Elton John, Tiny Dancer. Mm. Uh, you know, she was my Tiny Dancer. And uh, so that song has always had a really unique place. Uh, and, uh, you know, a few months ago when Elton was doing a concert in Pittsburgh, uh, somebody reached out to him to let him yeah, know so that. I saw he actually that, yeah. dedicated the song to Jamie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jamie was my tiny dancer. And and strangely, and this is like, yeah. people always say, do you think Jamie sends you signs? I got to tell you something. When I have it in my low down moments, that song comes on the radio always at the right time. Mm-hmm. It just does. Well, You can make it out what you want. No, look, it's music is, is an amazing thing in terms of catharsis and and what we do with it and when we need it and and how we process it and it's it's great that elton john did what he did and billy joel somehow should know about his significance in your life and uh you know well i just got to say fred you you know you never cease to amaze me you're you're an inspiration to so many and you're a fucking warrior i say that to you all the time but you are you're a warrior so keep fighting keep listening to billy joel and uh we'll talk again and hope to see you soon Love you, bud. Likewise. See you later. Take care. That's episode 44. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446, email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, my friend and warrior for gun reform, Fred Gutenberg. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week. Have a great week.